When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of Potterooney! And on this episode, I'm talking to Trevor Locke, who is a UK comedian who has come up with a brand new type of comedy show. And he's performing that at the Edinburgh Festival this year also. This week I was up at Rosnaula and uh, brought my son Daniel, daughter Duana and her boyfriend Vora. And we went to the Rosnaula Surf School and were surfing for about two hours on the beach in Rasnaula and it was absolutely brilliant and we all managed to get up on the boards and surf and do um whatever amount of time surfing at not every time but I'm so into the surfing now I'm almost yes I'm thinking of purchasing a board and a wetsuit and just going up every now and then for a surf and uh, we had a good time up there and we stayed with um, Marianne and uh, she gave us some of her, a bottle of her fantastic Runway 28 gin, which I'd highly recommend as a gin, a, a homemade Irish bespoke gin. So I'm going to uh, be on a few of these streams that the government are financing and I shot one yesterday in Rathkenny Hall in Meath over near Slane and um, there were lots of trad with trad musicians singer-songwriters like Robert John Ardiff who had only just discovered he's huge on Spotify and a brilliant singer-songwriter from Summerhill and uh, there were many others uh, trad musicians singer-songwriters uh, poets um and I emceed it, I guess, kind of thing. But I did actually uh, recite a poem throughout the uh, show. Well, you know, when it's put together, I'll be in and out of it. And it was a great day with Soft Productions, S-O-F-F-T. And I just saw some of the stuff that they've produced over the last year or so. And uh, really brilliant stuff. Just really quality, quality material. It's interesting that... Um, from this lockdown, the government have given some money towards the arts and uh, there's some great stuff being produced. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I also shot um, a 
show that involves sketches and stand up with Pat Short productions. So they're all they're all going to be out there stream streaming in the next month or so. And uh, I'm sure I'll tell you when they're going out uh, on the other um Home front, uh, it's official. I am going to be a student this year going to DCU doing a multimedia uh, degree course. It's official. I've been offered the place. I've accepted it. The CAO have been on to me. They've offered me the place. I've been contacted. Yes, it's definitely happening. Right. Okay. I can't believe it's happening. I've never been a student before, uh, apart from school. Um, I'm not going back to college. I've never been to college. And at this stage of my life, I've, I've made that decision. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for lockdown. And so if there's anybody out there, I'm 57, I'm doing this. So if there's anyone out there um, in their 30s or 40s or even 50s or 60s, whatever, and you want to do third level education, just go for it. Just do it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I guess you can do it, right? Right? Um, and uh, so there's many positive things from the lockdown and hopefully we're coming out of it now. I don't have any live gigs as such. Oh yeah, I'm doing one tomorrow in, in outdoors though, in the Triscoll Arts Centre in Cork. So if you're around Cork tomorrow, doing two shows, one at 6.30 and one at 8.30. But apart from that, yeah, no indoor, apart from uh, a couple over in the UK in September, hopefully they're going to go ahead uh, in, um, Wigan and in ooh, Halifax and they are theatre shows on the 10th and 11th of September and there's a couple of outdoor things happening with the comedy improv I'm doing stuff in Dunleary as well uh, there will be a comedy improv outdoor show in the park in Dunleary on the 20th of August. I won't be involved in that one because I'm shooting a film as well, which uh, is com- coming up in August. And uh, there'll be another improv show in September as well. Uh, but that's way off. So I, I don't know what the date is. So, uh, OK, well, as you know, also, I've been doing a comedy sketch show, comedy sketch podcast show online obviously online it's it's out on spotify it's called dictv radio dictv radio and here's a little clip of of one of them better sit down are you wondering why I brought you into the office? Well, yes, I am, actually. Well, Betty, it's because you look dirty. You look dirty and mad. This is a beauty salon. You're a beautician. The clue is in the name. We're all about beauty, not mad, dirty people. I find that quite insulting. How am I dirty? You're covered in marks. They're all over your body. You mean my tattoos? And frankly, you smell like rotten vegetables. Oh, I get it. Is this because I'm vegan? No, not at all. Look, Betty, you're clearly not well. Only yesterday you got sick on Mrs Jaborski's foot. Oh, my God. Have you seen her bunions? They're disgusting. Nobody else will touch your feet. Why are you picking on me? You can't fire me because of how I look. OK, Betty. I'd hoped you have a better attitude. So let me tell you, I can fire you whenever I want. But count yourself lucky. I won't fire you because I want to help you. 
I have some friends from the church waiting outside the door, and they're willing to help you. Father Michael, Haley, you can come in now. Quick, tie her to the chair, Haley. Okay, Father. What are you doing? Leave me alone. That must be the devil talking, Father. Yes, indeed, Haley. Don't worry, Betty. We, we know you're in there somewhere. Oh, my God, you people are insane. He's using the Lord's name in vain, Father. Out, demon! Out! Out! Leave her alone! I'm reporting this to the Employment Rights Bureau. This is outrageous. I'll see you in court. Can the devil do that? Bring us the court? Oh, no, he's up to his old tricks again. Shut up, demon. You haven't a leg to stand on. You were never employed at this beautician's. Ergo, you have no rights. It's Betty we want to speak to. Not you, Satan. I am Betty, you moron. Oh, he's gone. We've cast him out. That was quick. We must be getting better at this, Father. Welcome back, Betty. Welcome back to the Lord. I will never go. You've been through a lot. Been through anything. Oh, my child, you're still in shock. I'm not in shock. No need to thank me, Betty. It's not the first employee we've had to perform exorcism on. That right, Ailey? And it won't be the last. Now, just get back to work. That's thanks enough for me. Right, okay, look, can I just leave now, okay? Go in peace. Oh, fuck off. Eh, uh, Father Michael? Yes? I know you just cast the demon out there, but she still smelled like rotting vegetables. That would be because she's a vegan. The most vile sinners on God's earth. Right. Yeah, the last one was a musical. We did a musical, and I hope we can get that musical on stage at some point in the autumn. And... Potterooney is part of the Headstuff podcast network, full of lots of great Irish podcasts to to uh, check out uh, whenever you're driving in your car or just cooking a meal. It's nice to stick on a podcast and have a listen. And here's one of them. Okay, it's Jibs here from the Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all we also had a bit of comedy as well you know to get y'all laughing get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in so y'all sit back and just you know enjoy the show as Jib said we're the Prince of Mott podcast you can find us on all streaming platforms including the Headstuff Network there you go, and that sounds brilliant. And uh, and there are so many other ones on the Headstuff Podcast Network. You can check it out on the website and uh, check them all out on the website. And then if you like one, you can listen to them, obviously, on whatever, you know, Spotify, iTunes, ho- however you listen to podcasts. Um, all right, this interview I did uh, probably over a year ago, and uh, I'm just putting it out now. And uh, Trevor is doing some shows at the Edinburgh fringe festival this year so you could check him out it's uh trevor lock you 
wanted to do when you were in school? I don't. I didn't. I didn't really know what comedy was really. I mean, uh, I have a memory of Alison Taylor, who was my dinner monitor. We had dinner monitors at my school, so you had to all lunchtime. You all have to sit on uh, a table with eight spaces around the table, and uh, there's the big ones, the ten and eleven year olds, all the way down to the five year olds. And Alison Taylor was ten, and she was my dinner monitor. And I sat next to her and I was five. It was my first year of school. And I can remember one lunchtime, um, we were all being very naughty. The whole school had been naughty and the headmaster had to come in and, and mm. tell us off at dinner time. And there was silence and I must have said something. And she whispered to me, she said to me, when you grow up, you're going to be a comedian. And I didn't know what the word meant. Um, I assumed it had something to do with making her laugh. And I went home and asked my mum, and my mum told me what a comedian was. So uh, I don't think I always wanted to be, but, yeah, apparently, <laughs> even from the age of five, I was making girls being, laugh. Yeah. And you were being told that that is that was your destiny, basically. Perhaps, perhaps. I didn't want to be a comedian. When I was little, I wanted to, first of all, I wanted to drive a train, then I wanted to be a vet, and then I wanted to play cricket. Oh, um, right, yeah. yeah. Train driving is very popular with young girls. I'm still thinking about it. I, I don't know if I'm too old, but uh, I do love trains. And right. um, my, you know, uh, comedy doesn't look like it's going to be very easy to do in, <laughs> in the world, in the world of masks and and pandemics. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, maybe it's time to retrain. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. It could, could be a lot of competition from other comedians as well. Um, maybe, I, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so when you, when you started out, you, uh, were like, did you go from school? To, when did you do your first gig? And, uh, My first gig, so I, I did, I read philosophy at University College London. Oh, right, okay. 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 Um, so there was never a chance of me getting a job because I wasn't very good at philosophy. Well, if you get, if you do a degree in philosophy, what can you do? You can yeah. uh, do something else afterwards. <laughs> well, I didn't have any money to do another degree. Or if you're really good at it, you can teach it or you can become an academic philosopher. One of my friends is a philosopher. He's uh, um, at, uh, I think he's at Sheffield University now. I think he's the head of the department there. Um, I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I, I either had to start again and do a, do a, a degree that was sensible or... Guess what? It was 1996 when I graduated and there was a comedy boom in London. Um, so they had uh, a comedy, Avalon ran a comedy, Avalon is a UK comedy agent and they used to run a, a gig, a, a, a circuit of gigs at universities. They had a gig at my uni. So yeah. my first, my first ever stand-up gig was at the Bloomsbury Theatre because the Bloomsbury Theatre is owned by UCL oh, and right. um, we had some kind of charity thing. And I'd never been to a stand-up gig. I didn't really know what it was. I'd watched comedy on telly, but there wasn't, there's not much stand-up on telly when I was growing up. I think the closest to stand-up I'd seen was probably Ben Elton's little monologues in, in, in one of his, there was it The Man from Auntie and then Mark Thomas used to have little monologues on Jonathan Ross's show. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it was, but, uh, that was my first gig, Bloomsbury Theatre. I told a terrible pub joke and um, got an encore because the other, acts, the other acts on before me were so bad that I got an <laughs> encore. And do you know what? I did the encore 
and I was booed off because yeah. um, because I, I couldn't. I had nothing else. To, I didn't. I hadn't that's, prepared. Yeah. That's, well, obviously, it's your first yeah. game. Yeah. Coming. So basically, my career in a nutshell in my very first gig. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but then. Cruel, cruel of the audience to bring you back on just to boo you off. Right. But uh, yeah, but it's fun, isn't it? That's what, I mean, this is, this is what you learn as, you, as a comic. You learn that uh, when an audience is booing, they're also really enjoying. They're yeah. enjoying that. It's, it's not what the comedian was looking for but the audience love a good boo they do yeah the audience love to see a comedian struggle it's a absolutely and uh to be honest i love to watch a comedian struggle it's fascinating right absolutely absolutely that's a it's an important thing to learn actually i think as an act because i've you know i've i i've also had the misfortune of of running gigs as well and when when you are when you, when you have the, sort of the bigger picture and you're, you're, it's your night or it's your show or whatever you've done the lineup. Yeah. Uh, obviously you want everybody to do well, but when somebody goes badly in the right way, it makes the night just as much yeah. as if they'd done, you know, better than if, than if they'd done okay, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and so when, when it's inevitably your turn to be the one that bombs horrifically, it's good to know that I think. Okay, that's not what I want. That didn't make me feel good. But in some sense, every one of those fuckers that booed at me, or or you know, they enjoyed hating me. They had a great night out, yeah. and they may even remember me more than the other comedians that they really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one of the worst deaths ever. It was in a double act at Leighton Live in Edinburgh. It was ah. incredible, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Three tiers of people booing. It was quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a special thing. I mean, it used to, I, I imagine no professional comedian or somebody who, who makes their living as a comic has died more often than I have on stage. Um, and uh, it's an extraordinary, because you, it, it kind of, you kind of get a similar buzz in a way from, you know, when it goes really badly, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, you know, if they didn't laugh, big deal. No, they <laughs> didn't laugh and they booed and they chanted off, off, they threw shoes at you. You know, that's what I call a death. Um, and oh, yeah. that's an amazing experience when you have a, a whole crowd chanting you to get off or throwing yeah. stuff at you. You know, that's, <laughs> that's similarly as exhilarating as, 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 as when you get a, a standing yeah. ovation, you know. It's a reaction. So, I mean, your comedy style was, you're saying that you, you, you probably struggled a little. I never, I'd never really seen comedy before. Okay. Yeah. And, and even when I did, I so saw my first ever proper gig, uh, that I, so, so after that silly gig at the Bloomsbury theater, my first ever gig was to host just because I was at UCL uh, the entertainment manager at UCL asked me to host this comedy night, which had professional comedians. My first ever show was with Bill Bailey, I think. It, it, within in, within about three months, I'd, I'd compared Bill Bailey, Dylan Moran, Al Murray, Ed Byrne, Adam Bloom, Sean Locke. Uh, yeah, okay, that, that that was like the first three months of uh, of gigs. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. But interestingly, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what they were doing. Mm. And 
when and, and then I started doing the open spot circuits in London and uh and I twigged so late what people were doing. People were writing jokes, learning them, and saying them over and over at all different gigs. They would go to another gig and they would do the same jokes and, and, and just get them better and better and better. Uh, mm. Practice makes perfect. And, and, and then they would have just a, a set list of, of, of jokes that they would say at all the gigs. And I, I didn't know that they were doing that. I, I just, I just thought they, these people are just really funny. And, you know, I'm, I, I, one day I'll be as good as them. So I would go out and, you know, sometimes I'd try to remember something I said last time that, 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 that was funny and, and, and worked. But the idea that I would write it down and learn it and work out exactly what the funny bits are never occurred to me. I thought comedians were just these funny people that went on stage and could just be funny. And <laughs> really, I struggled. <laughs> well, um, how long uh, did it take you to realise that? I, mean, I, I think it was probably uh, 90, it's probably two years, probably probably two years. Yeah, a couple of years. Doing completely new set every time. Not a, not necessarily a, a, a complete, but very often, but not necessarily. It would, it would just, it, I would, I would, oh, what, what worked last time? What was that thing I did last time? Yeah. You know, or, or, or I may even write, you know, I thought I was cheating by writing down, I'd come off stage after I'd said something, I'd write it down yeah. and then I'd sort of cheat by looking at it before the next gig. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so I was, a, you know, I, I, I handicapped myself, I guess, mm. to begin with. So I had a, um, and then I was, I had, I think I, I saw an agent saw me on a good night and got the wrong impression of me. Um, <laughs> because he just saw me on a good night and I got signed to, to an, a, a, an agent with comedians that were much, much better than me, much in all sorts of different ways, better than me, Ross Noble, Andrew Maxwell. But because I had the same management as them, uh, I would get, I, I would get booked. Bookers would, um, promoters would be forced to hire me. So if you want to get Ross Noble or Andrew Maxwell, then you've got to take this, this new kid. Yeah. So I'd be going up for gigs that I could, just didn't know how to do it, couldn't, couldn't do. Right. Um, and I guess like uh, Ross Noble actually is one actually probably makes it look like he makes it look easy just going on stage and. But there, but there you are, you see, so you can understand seeing Ross. It's like, yeah, like, you know, that's the way to do comedy, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so um, and uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not everyone can do that. So did, did, you ended up doing a show in Edinburgh with, with Andrew Maxwell and Daniel Kitson, is that right? Yeah, so right, right early on, right early on, yeah. um, th- when I was a terrible comedian and didn't know what I was doing. Still, yeah, yeah, that that was, again, I was... And now neither did Daniel, actually, weirdly. Um, you know, the only one that knew what they were doing at that moment you know, in their career was, was, was Andrew. He was gutted that he had to do a show with us too. Because uh, we ruined it for him, he had to headline the show after us, and uh, it was a terror. We uh, Daniel and I dreaded doing it um, uh, because we we were awful. And then a- Andrew came on after us and sort of had to, you know, 
make the make the room happy, agreeable, and then do his stuff. You know. Um, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, you know, how, how how long did it take you to, as they say, find your voice? You know, let I me mean, find out who you were on stage and what what you wanted to. Long, do. long, 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 long time. So I've uh, the show I do now, I really like, and uh, I, I, I came up with that show by accident in two thousand and fourteen. So I, so for a while I used to write jokes. I used to write routines. I used to write shows for the Edinburgh Festival. I'd write, write comedy. I eventually I figured out how to do it. You write it, you learn it, you practice it, you get better. And, uh, and I was all right at it, you know, and I, and I, and I made a living as a, as a comedian for, for five years, just as, just as a club comic. Um, and then I went, I wrote a new hour for the Edinburgh Festival in 2014 and the, the ad libbed intro to it after the, after four performances, the, the intro was about 40 minutes before. So I, I had 20 minutes left to do the show. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, that, was, that, that happened accidentally, is it? You, you it was, were... Well, I think it's, yeah, yeah, accidentally in the sense that I think I wasn't really excited about my show. Um, so there was, I was in no hurry to start the jokes. Um, and, and, and the introduction was, was fun, was fun, you know? So after four performances, I just thought, stop it, just stop this. You only need to do 20 more minutes and you've got an hour that you're enjoying, that the audience is enjoying because it all, it, 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 the, 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 the 20 minutes of my jokes was, is, is not as good as the, as the 40 minutes of preamble. And, uh, and I'd found a kind of little structure. I'd find it, I found a sort of format for the show. Mm. So what I, what I was doing, I was, I was sort of calling out a fake roll call, like a fake class register. I was, I was pretending I knew who was in the audience and calling off names. And, and if any, if I did get somebody's name right, Graham, Graham would say yes. And, and, so, and it doesn't sound funny, does it? But somehow it was amazingly funny. So that was what, that was the beginning of the show. And then at uh, the end of the show, I'd give people pads with pens and they had to write down uh, uh, what they noticed, their thoughts. Yeah. And then I'd read that out at the end of the show. And there was some, other, uh, and then we end on a prayer. And so there's a kind of format, mm. but it, but it, but it, but it, there was no content, if you like, there's nothing. So I never had to say anything that I'd said before. And, mm. uh, and so on the, on the fifth time of that show, I just, I told, I told the audience, I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do just as, if you come to see this show that I've written, I'm not going to do that. In mm. fact, there's not going to be any jokes. There won't, there won't be anything prepared. There's not going to be any material. It will be a lot of fun. You'll definitely enjoy yourself, but, um, you won't necessarily know why. Okay. And yeah. so I had, so I'd said it right at the top. So just so that after about half an hour, when I started to run out of ideas, Mm. I wouldn't go back and start doing jokes. Uh, I, I said it at the top to, just to sort of force myself to do the whole hour. Mm. And um, and that show now, I've done that show six years running at the Edinburgh Festival and I've I toured it all over the world nearly. Yeah, I've, I've watched some of uh, clips of it and um, and stuff that other, other gigs you've done. And it's fascinating because I think what happens is you you kind of gather the audience into into like a they're like a group or they all they become a, like a 
a group and they get to know each other and yeah and they and they exactly so so the flaw of stand-up comedy in my opinion one of the many flaws in stand-up comedy is that there's a there's a room full of people mm. and only one person really gets to talk mm. so but in this show um most of my if i say anything funny it's usually something i've read out on a pad written by a member of the audience. Mm. Um, so you, you get to hear, a, anyone can contribute, but there are four people that will, that will write down their thoughts. So you really get a sense. And often, if I can, I, the audience is in a sort of circle so that yeah. they're, they're seeing each other as much as they're seeing me, they're looking at each other. So there really is a sense that you start off in a room full of strangers and by the end of the evening, uh, the, 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 you know these people in in, in a way, mm. and uh, and the fun is people like to come again because they'll see it once and they'll be like, "Was that was that bit planned? Are these? Does he know that woman? And, and was it? And so they'll come back just mm. to just to see where the where the plant, who were the plants, what mm. were the setups? And of course, it's never the same. It's, there's nothing set up. There's nothing planted. And, um, and so I have incredible repeat business on that show. You know, in the old days, maybe my, my most crazy fan would come and see one of my written shows more than once but with this show. Uh, I mean, one of my craziest fans has seen the show well over 30 times, but mm. normal people see it five or six times because it's, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's a, this show is called Community Circle, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got people in a, sitting in a circle and then you, what, you give a, a pads to everybody in the circle? No, anyone who wants. It's about, uh, you should bring along four, you yeah. know, so sometimes people, you know, diehards bring their own pads and pens. Um, but yeah, it's usually about four people in the audience that do it. We try to do a range, you know, couple of women a couple of men a couple of old people a couple of young yeah. people try and try to make it a sort of we set it up as an experiment so the idea is we're trying to discover if there is such a thing as reality is 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 it is, is reality real and and the, and then the methodology for the experiment is four different people of different ages and, and genders write down what they see happening in the room yeah and Whatever they see, whatever they're thinking, whatever they notice, their point of view, their subjective point of view during the show, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, from one point of view, there is no show. But things always happen. People always say something. Something always happens. And then after, depending on how long the show's going to be, whether it's going to be an hour or, or, or a couple of hours, mm-hmm. I start to read what people have written, and then that becomes the show, and then so I read what she's written. Then I read what he's written. They've both written around the same thing, but from a different point of view. Give it back. Ten minutes later, I go back to them, and she's written about what he's written. And then, then so then he's written about what she's written about what he's written. Yeah. And so those two might be having a conversation for the rest of the show. This person there's noticed something that no one else has noticed. Mm. Um, so you, you these narratives and. And, and, and these worlds, you know, these different points of view mm. come out. And uh, it, it's, it's a fun, unique 
extraordinary. Mm. Is it more more like a piece of theatre, really, or um, yeah. yes, or a well, workshop, well, or a, or a or a therapy session, an encounter group? You know. Yeah, but it's hilarious because I you hear people laughing in a way that you don't normally hear them laugh at a right. comedy gig. It's kind right. of giggly, uncontrollable. It's a weird thing because the difference, the main difference to, because I still do club comedy and the main difference is when I am, even, even though I don't usually do prepared jokes anymore, um, when usually, uh, when I, I know, oh, I'm going to say this and it's going to be funny. And it's like a boxer swinging a punch. Yeah. You want that punch to land. You don't want to swing and miss. Okay. Mm. Now, when I'm doing the community circle, I'm, I'm not swinging. I am, there's, I'm not throwing any punches. Mm. The, the, the laugh, I don't know. When I read out a, what someone's written down, I don't know where the laugh's going to come or if it is funny. So none, so that the, your, the audience, we are laughing. Mm. in a different way to how we laugh at comedy because mm. at comedy in a way we sometimes we we know there's a punch coming or we see it swinging mm. um so we know where it should land yeah. And, yeah and 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 that's part of it but with this there's no one's swinging no no one's swinging punches so there's nothing to land and there's nothing to miss yeah. and, and and i think that that's why it's a different quality of laughter. Yeah, but this, yeah, I, what I like about it is this kind of laughter you have when you're with your friends and you're making each other laugh. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I think Steve Martin, when he started out with, thought, why can't I make an audience laugh like I can make my friends laugh? And uh, he, he figured it out, I suppose, with physical comedy. Um, do you know that uncontrollable laugh? You don't even know why you're laughing or you're laughing at something that because it's so... yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. And I think it's because during the course of the show, Mm. people, you know, sort of feel like they do become friends and and you hear about people. Someone might have written down a thing that you thought about. And and so there is it's it's you become friends. There is a community. You're not Mm. an audience. An audience is just people tightly packed in rows or in the old days, tightly packed in rows now, probably, you know, but still they're all facing the same way. They're not looking at each other and they're not, they're, they're only peripherally aware of the other people in the audience. It's all on the, the, the focus is all on one thing. Whereas in my show, the lights are up, for example, there's never a spotlight. It's the, 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 the house lights are up. You can mm. see everybody. It doesn't feel like a show or a theater or and. And so you're you're in a situation where you're just aware of other people, and I think that is why people do sort of make friends. Yeah, but the one thing about it, I guess, is that uh, as a comedian, you've kind of you would have to park your ego to do that kind of show. It's not a, it's not a narcissist show because you're taking the spotlight away from yourself. In a way, yeah, in a way, in a way, in a way. So. Uh, pretty on a regular basis, the funniest 10 lines in the show or the, the biggest laughs in the show yeah. usually, uh, have nothing to do with me. Yeah. So, so it's, it's either something I've read out from what people have written down or it's something someone else has said in the room. Mm. So yeah, but you know, I set it up. 
So yeah, yeah. That's, so I so I get it all. So in a way, but from the very beginning, you know. So it's not it's not like if I was doing a monologue, if I was doing jokes, if I was doing a set, and someone said a very funny heckle, and that was the biggest laugh. That would hurt because I've, I've been I've been I've been punching away and 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 getting these little hits in, and then someone's just poof, and got the biggest one. Well, that's that's a humiliation. Mm. But with this one, although consistently members of the audience are getting the laughs, actually, mm. um, it, 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 it's it's really good for my ego. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because this is this is. This, this, it, it works. It's just a different setup, really. Right, yeah. And, and, uh, can you do this show uh, online now with the, with the lockdown? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I haven't tried. I've, I've been doing other things with lockdown. What I, what I've just launched with lockdown is, is, um, weirdly, considering I, I'm probably most known for shows without jokes, I'm, I'm running, uh, I think, the Joke Hospital. Yeah. Um, which is, um, uh, an online sort of writer's room where people bring jokes that aren't it's poorly jokes and we make we make people's jokes better that's that's the concept yeah. um, so so people any at any any level and any stage of development of their material they email the stuff in to all of us who are participating we have a you know you can have a, a long look at it and make some notes or just a glance at it and then during the sessions people take it in turns to sort of do an online gig, I, I guess, deliver their material, present their material, and yeah. then we uh, give them feedback. It's a little bit like community circle in the sense that, you know, everybody's allowed to say what they want. And I'm just sort of, you know, the, the teacher, the, the, the yeah. conductor. And, yeah. 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 Anyway, well, the show set. I haven't seen that show live, and I only discovered it recently. I'd love to see it. Where plan? are you based? I'm based in Dublin, just outside Dublin. Well, I did one of my favourite ever ones was in Dublin uh, last about a year ago, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we had Kevin Gilday in the audience. Oh yeah. Um, I've done it twice in Dublin, actually. Yeah, I did it in Dublin yeah. two years ago, and uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll be back. Well, hopefully I'll see you in either in Edinburgh or in Dublin, but yeah, so definitely, definitely, or if not, maybe in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Like what a lovely fella and what an absolutely brilliant concept for a comedy show, which I really want to get to see. I don't think I can get over to Edinburgh this year, but hopefully I'll see it when he comes to Dublin whenever live shows ever happen again. But it's it's we see light at the end of the tunnel now, I think. Okay, maybe around Christmas, but if not, definitely at the start of next year. Unbelievable, I know. March 2020, I thought this could be, uh, this could be terrible. It might, we might be shut down for two months. Almost two years, I think it's going to be until everything's back to normal. But hey, 
Oh, lots of us, I think, have discovered good things during the lockdown, like, you know, going for walks and jumping in the sea and uh, taking it easy and not uh, getting involved in driving in and out and in and out and in and out in rush hour every day. And people are going to be working from home. And there's um, there's all these uh, broadband hubs being set up all around the countryside and people can move to whatever and uh, live. And quality of life is more important than jumping onto the old uh, treadmill of you know work 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 and a little bit of play so uh, there you go okay that's it right talk to you next week see ya bye you crazy motherfuckers Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.